Lord Jesus, uh, we want to hear from you. If this is just something we do on a Sunday morning, uh, we'd have been better off sleeping in. If this is just, oh, I, I like this and I like that song and I hope he does good up there, like we're missing it. We need to hear the voice of God this morning. We need for you to speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, as we sing and worship, as later we partake in communion, as we come to your word now, may you just make your presence known. Uh, Lord, if encouragement is needed, then I pray you encourage. If conviction is needed, bring your conviction, Holy Spirit. May we walk away transformed people, different than the people that walked in the doors this morning. Do the work that only you can do in our hearts and lives, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're continuing in our series uh, on community. We started it last week. And last week I was just trying to kind of build a foundation, a, a case for the fact that we as believers, but honestly we as human beings, were created for community. We need it. None of us can live life alone. Some of us can live life with a little more alone time than others, but we all need community. And I made the statement last night, if there's any area in your life where you desire to grow, you need community in that area. We looked physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of these things. If you try to just break out on your own and I'm just going to take on these new challenges and I'm going to read 30 books a year and I'm going to work out four times a week and I'm alone, you're toast. You won't make it through the end of January. None of us is wired to do life alone, but especially as believers, we were created for community. God is a social being in perfect community with himself, and he said, wouldn't it be awesome if we created other people to join our community? They would love each other, they would love us, things would be perfect. That was kind of the idea of creation, and we ruined it. And ever since then, God has been trying to get us back to that. We looked last week at some passages, Jesus' last prayer uh, before he went to the cross, and he prayed that we would have unity with each other and unity with him, just like he and the Father had this perfect unity. He was praying that we would understand community, that we would do life together. But I, what I didn't tell you was what that looks like. Okay, how do we take some steps towards that I kept saying, you know, we, we were made for true community, but I never really defined that. That's what we're going to look at this week. We have to start with the understanding, we've been talking a lot about kingdom life, that kingdom life is a life lived together in community. If you're going to be good at kingdom life, you have to be good at community. You cannot separate the two. Kingdom life, the life lived to the glory of the king, is only done in community. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. You and your Bible and a cup of coffee on Sunday mornings doesn't cut it. We need each other. We were created to need each other. Kingdom life is a life lived together in community. Sometimes, oh, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, our English words kind of screw us up a little bit. Because how many times have you read the Bible and you read the word church? And what do you normally think of when you read church? Is it a building? Is it an event that happens on Sunday morning? Is it that one thing that we do that one time? Like, we, we tend to take the word church and it becomes an organization. It becomes that building. It becomes, again, that, that event on a Sunday morning. We come here to do church and we mess ourselves up. Uh, that word church, like the, in the Greek, it's a word called ekklesia. 
And I don't use the Greek very often. I don't go there super often. For me, it just gets confusing. But there's some times when it really helps clarify it. Every time you read the word church in the New Testament, it's this word ekklesia. And really what it means is assembly or congregation. It's a group of people moving somewhere together. When they would talk about the church, when Jesus said that I've come to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he wasn't talking about a building. He wasn't talking about these kicking Sunday morning things that everyone's going to love. He was saying, I've come to put together a group of people on mission together that the gates of hell cannot come against. But we miss that sometimes. Every time we read the word church, it's talking about community. It's talking about our relationships with one another, not some organization somewhere. We have to learn to kind of see through that. Because in our American mentality, this is what it means. The, the word ecclesia is not like a Christian word. Jesus didn't make it up when he was talking about building his church, his, his assembly, his congregation. There's actually a couple places in the New Testament where that, the word ecclesia is, and it's not translated church. Like one is in the book of Acts, when Paul and Barnabas, they go into this city and they start preaching the gospel and people are coming to faith. And all of a sudden there's this like... This idol-making community. Like literally, physically, they make idols out of silver. And all of a sudden they realize, we're losing a ton of business. Because people are starting to follow this Jesus, and no one's buying idols anymore. And so they band together, and they actually start a riot in the city. And this mob comes against Paul and Barnabas. And when the mob is rioting, the word that they translate mob is ecclesia. If we did it across the board, it would say, and the church came together and rioted against Paul and Barnabas. Doesn't make any sense. Truly, the word means group of people. You want to talk about a mob, they have a singular focus. Typically not a good singular focus, but it's a group of people with one purpose moving together. This is the kind of community that we are called into. This is truly what kingdom life looks like. This is what the church is supposed to be. A group of people moving forward on mission together. But we've missed that. And, And honestly, even when I talk about community, it's tough. Because community nowadays has become a buzzword. We're all seeking community. And it's found in so many different things. We're going to look at a few here in a minute of like, whether it's political parties or like belief systems or whatever. There's always this community the gun-owning community, as if everyone that owns a gun is like best friends with each other and on the same page about everything. No. Some people that own guns should not be in rooms together. It's a dangerous thing. But we use this word community just kind of super broadly. And again, we, we hurt ourselves when we do that. What we're going to look at here this morning is we're going to try to come to some kind of a definition of what biblical community is And the way that I think is I always start with, okay, what isn't it? First, let's start with like antonyms. What isn't community, but maybe gets called that. And then we'll look at what biblical community is. That make sense? All right. Remember, people, I need feedback. Casey, Phil, I need you guys. Amens move me along faster. If I think you're not getting it, I will keep repeating the same point. And none of us want that. (laughs) It works, I'm telling you. Okay. So let's take a look first at some false ideas of community. And real quick, here's what I mean by false ideas of community. These are things that have the label of community that overpromise and underdeliver. These are things that promise you connection with people. They promise you community, 
but they underdeliver. The first is this. It's more of an idea, but we'll put some bones to it. The first false idea we're going to look at is proximity. We have this idea that if we can just get people close to each other, if we can just get them sitting in a room together, community happens. If we can just get them coming on a Sunday morning and being a part of the same audience, maybe even singing the same songs and hearing the same sermon, community happened, right? We had church. We, we were the gathering of God, right? I mean, we went to church, but it doesn't happen that way. Let's be real. I have been a part of this church for about eight and a half years now. It's, span, it's taken me like almost 11 years to get to eight and a half. But we've been, we, there was a, a, we were in Cleveland, we're back, whatever. But, so there was a, a couple year break there, but about eight and a half years. There are some of you I have literally never had a conversation with. I know your name because somebody pointed it out. And I, I pray for you regularly. We try to keep up with people. And so I have a face to it, but we've never had a conversation. And look, I'm not blaming you. That's on me as well. But we have no community. We go to the same church and we've gone to the same church, some of us for five years, six years on down the road, and we have zero community. Now, before we start feeling guilty and looking around going, oh no, I don't know them. And I, I also don't have space in my life to have true biblical community with 80 people at the same time. So, it's not that we're all supposed to like know every intimate detail about every single person in this room. No. But some of you come to church regularly and have very little community. You come in, you sit, and you sing, and you give, and you, you listen to the message, and I hope it, you take it to heart, and then you get up and you leave with no community. And that is a dangerous thing. Now, here, here's something to keep in mind when I'm talking about some of these false ideas of community. I'm not suggesting that they're bad. Can we have community without proximity? No. It's a step in the process. We have to be near one another to get to know one another, to move forward with one another. The problem is what a lot of us have done is we've taken step one and we've gone, that's the whole kit and caboodle. Just get them in a room together and we'll be good. And it doesn't work. We, the church is famous for things called fellowship events. We're going to have a potluck fellowship. And we're going to get a bunch of people together in a room and everyone's going to bring food. And community will just magically happen, right? For Some of you are so hungry for community, you make it happen. You see that as an opportunity and you're going to go talk with people and you're going to build relationships. And, but just having food and with some tables and chairs does not make community. It's a step. It's a good opportunity for it. But we've just kind of settled for it and said, no, that's the real thing. We're doing our part. We, we abuse. I think the word fellowship is one of the most abused words in the Christian language. Because we mean fellowship to mean Christians together in a room. That's it. The end. We had fellowship. People seemed to have fun. Fellowship happened. The word fellowship, and again, I'm going to go to the Greek twice in one message. I do not do this. I promise. Koinonia. Is, is the word for fellowship in the Greek. The literal translation is partnership. To have fellowship with one another is not to be in the same room, is not to be able to put a face to the name, or I said, hey, how's it going? And they said, fine. We had fellowship. To have fellowship is to lock arms with one another and to have a partnership. There's a purpose behind fellowship. 
It's not just, yeah, we got together and told some jokes and had some fun. Fellowship. There's purpose behind our gathering together. There is purpose behind our fellowship. That if we miss that, if we just pat ourselves on the back because a bunch of people showed up to a potluck dinner, did anything go beyond that? I don't know, but they showed up and they seemed to like it. It was a win. We're stopping short. We're selling ourselves short. Over promises, under delivers. Another false idea of community is like-mindedness. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes it's put out there that if you believe the same as somebody else, if you would check the same boxes as somebody else, you have community. This is like I was talking about before. You hear it politically. There's, there's people talk about the Republican community or the Democrat community, the Christian community, the atheist community, as if because we would check the same boxes, because we have some similar beliefs, we have community. It doesn't work that way. We come in here again, we listen to the same messages, we sing the same songs. Most of us would probably check the same boxes. Some of us would check different boxes. That doesn't equal community. If we would check different boxes, that doesn't negate community. It's so much deeper than just, yeah, these people believe like me. Like-mindedness, again, hear me, not a bad thing. Actually, a really, really good thing. Something that if we're going to lock arms and move forward together... Like-mindedness has to be there at least around the foundational things. But just believing the same way, just nodding our heads at the same thing, doesn't equal community. The problem is most of us have been calling these things community and wonder why we're so lonely, depressed, and dying inside. They overpromise. You have probably at some point in time, maybe directly or indirectly, been told, you just need to come to church more. If you come to church more... We're the family of God. Like, that's what's expected of you. And if you do that, everything will be good. And you've probably done that and gone away going, everything's still not good. What the heck? Maybe my church is broke. I'll go try another one. We take one step, maybe two steps, and we go, that should be it. That should be all the further I need to go. But community is so much deeper than these things. This next one is dicey. Like, let me tell you this. Two weeks ago, uh, I preached a message where the, the, the basic premise was this. Just because you prayed a prayer at camp one day when you were a kid doesn't mean you're a Christian. There, there's way more to following Jesus. This whole kingdom life thing involves action. And, and I was nervous to preach that because there are some people in here that have prayed a prayer one day, call themselves a Christian, and are missing it. And I'm like, man, I don't want to hurt people, but people have to know this. And I was nervous. I'm more nervous about this next point. Social media is a false idea of community. Amen. Amen. She says amen. Some of you laugh nervously. Social media overpromises, underdelivers. But I'm part of a Facebook community. I've got a Facebook accountability group. But I follow these pastors on Instagram and they post really inspirational stuff. People yell loud things at Twitter. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. Like, that's community, right? I'm connecting with people, right? Not necessarily. Now, here's the thing. I am not against social media. Personally, I have no time or patience for social media. I, I have a couple social media accounts. Like, even, I think Scott and I were talking a couple weeks ago. He and Karen like, oh, we posted something on your Instagram account. And I was like, I have an Instagram account? Like, 
been like four or five years since I've even checked this thing. I'm like, oh, right, right, right. Well, hopefully it was helpful for you. I don't know. I'm, I'm not against social media, but the thing is, when social media is used in a healthy way, it's supplemental to community. It's one of those things that, that gets us from maybe Sunday to Sunday or Wednesday to Friday when, you know what, I'm struggling and it's the middle of the night and I can't just pick up the phone and call somebody. I can connect with some people online. Uh, it's one of those things where, yeah, like maybe there's no one directly around me that understands exactly what I'm going through, but there's this online community and we can, we can talk about things and I can find some encouragement. Great. It can be a really helpful, healthy thing. The problem is, too many of us have made it the whole thing. The average person in the world, not even just in America, our numbers are higher, but in the civilized world, the average person spends two hours and 22 minutes a day on social media. That includes Africa. That includes, like, it's crazy. In America, it's closer to three hours and I think like six minutes a day on social media. All different kinds. It wasn't just picking on Facebook or Twitter. It was kind of bringing the whole gambit in between two and three hours a day. And yet over 70% of Americans have a clinically diagnosable case of loneliness and depression. Like it's rampant in our community and we are the most quote unquote connected people that have ever lived. Yet we feel alone. We feel depressed. How many of you, the reason that I stopped using social media is because I realized I was coming looking for entertainment and connection, but the longer I scrolled, the more bored and alone I felt. So then I created a different account. Let's, I, maybe Twitter's what I'm missing. Maybe, and I started adding all of these different things, but the more time I would spend in that world, the more alone and disconnected I felt. It promised me connection. It promised me community. What it gave me was loneliness which leads to depression and anxiety and, all, and the fear of missing out. And we're all actually sitting staring at our phones on a Friday night, but it looks like everybody else is out having a great time and I'm the only one missing out. And it, it's so tricky. Social media is a false idea of community. Again, it can help. It can be a supplemental piece, but we've put so many eggs in that basket. And then we wonder, how come I feel so disconnected? How come I feel like no one really knows me? I feel like the only pictures I can post are the ones where I look a 10. I feel like the only things that I can post are the super witty things, are the things that make me look really good. What we're doing is we're actually building a mask, and what that mask does is it guarantees no one will ever actually love or connect with you. A, because you're putting a false self out there, and any connection people have, our brains won't be fooled. They go, they don't really like me though, they like the mask. They think the mask is funny. They think I rolled out of bed looking like that. I know I spent about 40 minutes. And the mask takes all the credit and we feel more lonely, more disconnected, more depressed. And the numbers don't change whether it's Christians, non-Christians, or whatever. This is such a dangerous thing for us. We come into to our walk with Christ and we hear things like the body of Christ, the family of God. We expect community. We settle for less and then we wonder why we wither and die. This list is simply there to get your brain going. You may have other things. This is not at all an exhaustive list. But we have to start to look and go, am I really connecting with people? 
or am I settling here? Am I, am I pulling up short? Am I taking the easy way? Because I'm never going to find community that way. And again, every single one of us was created for community. We'll die without community. The, one of the most severe punishments that they still give in prison is solitary confinement. We're going to cut you off from community for a week, a month, whatever. And people go nuts. We were wired for it. But we're settling for so much less. Let me give you some characteristics of biblical community. What I'm not going to do is tell you this thing's happening on Tuesday night and you need to be here because then you'll have community. I'm not going to offer you a program. What I'm going to offer you is some characteristics. Here's some things that true biblical community always have. The first one is this, involvement in each other's lives. Not just updates on each other's lives. Oh yeah, I read a post, they just had a baby. Cool, I liked it. I am not involved in that person's life. This person and I, we actually have interaction where they get to know me and I get to know them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That I'm actually letting some people in and I'm kind of pressing some other people to let me in. That I don't just take, hey, how's it going? Good. I don't just take that at face value. Is it really? I've kind of learned, some people hate talking to me. I don't know why. I'm delightful. Amen. Amen. Wait, does that mean move on? Oh, no. Some people don't like talking to me because they'll say, like, I'll say, how are you doing? And they go, good. And every single time I've just learned, I go, okay, uh, that seemed qualified. Like, what? there was a hesitation. Are things really going well? And sometimes they go, yeah, I just had to think for a minute. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to, like, grill somebody. But the follow-up question, no, 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 I, I really want to know, is your life going well? If not, is there something I can do? Can I help? Can I, can I pray for you? Man, life is crazy. Can I bring you a meal? Like, we start to get involved in each other's lives. That deepens community. You can't skip that step. We have to become truly involved, connected with each other's lives. Which leads to this next part, and we don't know what to do with this in our American society. A genuine need for one another. We live in a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps community. We live in a community, like, I'm using the word community. Oh, no. We live in a country that was founded on rebellion, and I'm going to do what I want to do. But yet, we come to the scriptures, and we find that the early church needed one another. We looked last week, this idea of the body, and going, you can't cut yourself off from the body and be okay. It doesn't exist. We need one another, and we were created to need one another. As in, when I don't have community with you, I am lacking in my own life. I can't be the man that God is calling me to be, the husband that God is calling me to be, the believer, the, the, the pastor, the leader, whatever it is. I can't be that without you in my life. Because you have gifts and experiences and knowledge and wisdom and insight that I need. Not would like, need. And I have the same for you. We are scared to need someone else. It, honestly, some of you have been married for double-digit years and you're still scared to need your spouse. Because what if they let you down? What if you depend on them and they say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, and you get hurt? So we just try to go, no, 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 I'll take care of myself, I'll do what I need, and we're withering and dying. 
We were created to need one another. I need someone to ask me that second question and go, are you, are you really good? Because if not, I'll just keep going on lying to them and lying to myself until somebody kind of sticks me to the wall. I need that. I need somebody to walk with me. I'm, I am a pretty self-sufficient person. I'm convinced I don't need anyone. I am living a lie. I need you. But honestly, without that kind of connection, without you asking that second question and kind of drawing in, I won't even recognize my need for you. And I'll continue to wither and die. And many of you are in the same situation. The early church needed one another. And somehow we've lost that. We've gone, it's nice to see you, but I don't like the idea of needing you. Like, think about that. My relationship with Jesus is incomplete without you because I'm just an eye rolling on the floor, detached from the body, super gross. But I was created to need you. I cannot be all that God has called me to be without you, and you cannot be all that God has called you to be without one another. This is actually a beautiful thing, but it seems foreign and weird and scary to us. But it's actually beautiful. Jesus says that when the world sees us having unity with one another, needing and caring for one another, meeting one another's needs, you have a need, I will sell my car to help you meet your need. Jesus says when the world sees that kind of stuff, they will sit up and take notice because they're not prepared for that. There is nothing this world has to offer that shows that kind of community. And Jesus says when they see that, they'll know that I sent you and that what I said is true. And that's one of those things that's scary and we'd like to leave in the Bible. And maybe that was just cultural. He's not really calling us to like, like sell our stuff to meet your needs, is he? That seems weird. And is this like a commune? Is it socialism? Like, but this is the kind of need for one another we're called to have. Is this making sense? Notify your faces, people. All right. Amen. Amen. And this next piece goes right into it. Biblical community is costly. Biblical community will cost you your time. It will cost you energy. It will certainly cost you your comfort. I just want to say I'm fine and have people leave me alone. Honestly, I want when you say I'm fine, I want to go cool and keep moving because I got stuff to do. But the kind of community we're called into is costly. It may cost finances. It will definitely cost emotional energy. To actually wrestle in prayer for a brother or sister is hard and costly. And we go, because we always say this, was well, there anything I can do besides pray for you? Because let me tell you, church, we're praying wrong. Oh, yeah, Lord, that's tough. Help them. But instead, to actually come to prayer for a brother or sister and to put yourself in their shoes and go, God, my heart breaks for them. I can't imagine how they're doing this. They need you, Father. And I'm going to stay here on my knees until you show up. That is costly prayer. God may be calling you to sell something and give. This, oh, you've been saving this to buy that new shiny whatever. And a need comes up. Are we willing to give? Now listen, this is a very generous church. That piece, I don't feel the need to, to stay on very long because I think you guys are very free with your finances to help one another. I've seen it time and time again. I, I am not suggesting we don't have any form of community in this church. I think we're kind of ahead of the curve. 
But again, when you compare it to the, the early church, the biblical model of community, we all fall short. Biblical community is costly. Are you willing to pay the cost? You were wired for it. You were created with this purpose in mind. But are you willing to pay the price to be who God has called you to be so that we can be who God has called us to be? The final point is this. Biblical community is on purpose. And what I mean by on purpose is two different things. One, purpose in in the ways of it's not an accident. We are active participants in biblical community. There may be the rarest of cases where people have true biblical community. They're involved in each other's lives. They're praying regularly. They have true community. And they go, yeah, I don't know. It just happened. I just showed up one Tuesday and these ladies and I just bonded and like, we have this crazy community, but like none of us was aiming for it. We just kind of fell into it. That may have happened once or twice, but if you're waiting for that to happen, you're, you're going to miss it. We have to seek community. We have to go to someone else and th- it's not a weird conversation, but for some reason we've made it weird. We have to go and go, you know what? I've been feeling kind of alone, uh, maybe in my walk with Jesus lately, and I would love to just get a couple guys together to, to pray for one another, maybe talk about what God's been teaching us and challenge each other. Is that something you'd be interested in? I, no one's going to be offended by that and go, how dare you, sir? But for some reason, that's a really scary conversation for most of us to have. I don't know if it's, we're scared to admit the weakness of I need other people, if, if we're just going, do I have another night a week or a month or however often? Like, the, it, It's simple conversations, but we have to be active. We have to be looking for community. We have to recognize I'm missing something and you have it. Can we figure out a way to get together? We have to be active participants, having community on purpose, And the second way of on purpose is this, moving forward with purpose, having a common goal that we're moving toward. When we've talked about kingdom life in the past, remember, it's not just pray a prayer, come and sit on Sundays and you're fine. It's that we have a king and that king has given us some marching orders. We're to advance his kingdom into a world that doesn't know him. We need one another and we have to be moving forward on purpose. Every Sunday I come out of this going, this week's going to be different. I'm going, to, I'm going to make a change this week. And by Monday I go, I'm tired and that seems weird. And I don't have anyone to come along and go, hey, last week you said you were going to do this. Did you do it? We, we need accountability. We need encouragement. We, we were not wired to do it alone. We need community, a common unity. We're moving towards a singular place, exalting the king and making him known And we need each other to do that. Let's look at a couple passages uh, by way of closing. Just some some of the New Testament passages where it's kind of displaying community. You won't find anything where it says, here's what community is. And it gives some bullet points. We're just going to look at some passages that describe the early church's community. One of the most famous is Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves, this talking about the early believers, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now look, I'm not even saying we have to meet together every day. We can do like Acts light. We can start there and see where things go. I'm okay with that. But they got together and they went, what needs are there? How can we meet them? Let's learn and grow together. Let's come to the communion table and break bread and remember what the Lord has done for us together. Let's pray for one another. They were on purpose when they met. It doesn't say every day they got together and sometimes some things happened and sometimes they just played Yahtzee. They got together on purpose and the community grew. People wanted to be a part of that kind of community. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 And let us consider how how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. A few weeks back, we talked about Jesus is coming back, and we have to live today in light of that day. We have to keep that in our focus. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, look, we need to get together to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I love that language. And encourage one another all the more as the day approaches. Life is hard. We need other people sometimes to give us that swift kick in the pants. We need people to encourage us and go, don't lose focus. Remember what's really at stake here. I need that reminder. I need that encouragement. And so do you. Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12, going back to the, the Old Testament. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is not a new thought. This has been thousands of years. God has been calling his people to community to doing life together, to sacrificing for one another, to encouraging and moving one another forward. Alone, we are cold, lying on the ground, defenseless. And the enemy knows that. He's created a system that kind of tricks us into it pretty easily, and we go willingly. We need each other. I'm going to read a larger passage from Romans chapter 12 by way of closing uh, this part of our time together. I don't have it up there. It's, it's 18 verses, but I just want you to listen to all of the one another's, all of the community type words that Paul is using when talking to the Roman church. He's telling them, here's what kingdom life looks like. And he just starts kind of shotgunning it, listing a bunch of different things, but all of them involve the one another stuff. So listen here, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now he describes that. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it. If it, In proportion to his faith, if it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I'm not going to pick any one of those out. Like, did you hear? It was this massive array. He's going in every area of your life, in every area of your walk with Jesus. There is a one another. How you treat one another, how you serve one another, how you allow others to serve you. This is kingdom life. If we miss this kind of community, let's just throw the whole thing out. We're never going to get there. I need you and you need me. And that's how it's supposed to be. Let's pray. Uh, close this time. We're going to move into a time of communion. Uh, Jamie, can I ask you to go grab the children's church kids while we pray? Thank you. Lord Jesus, uh, over these past few weeks, I have been keenly aware of my need for community. Uh, and, and Lord, I'll, I'll be real. I can preach on it. Um, but I don't have a ton of community in my own life. Uh, it's easy to be alone. It's easy to get caught up doing the things that I think are important or whatever and miss uh, everything even I'm speaking on. We need community, God. May you prick our hearts every time we settle for something less. Every time we close ourselves off, whether because of lies we've believed from the enemy, whether because we look and just say it's too hard, it costs too much. I'm not sure how to be good at it. Whatever is holding us back, would you convict our hearts, Lord Jesus? May we, as you prayed in John 17, may we have a unity with each other that reflects the unity you have with the Father. Nothing you wouldn't give, nothing you wouldn't do, nothing you wouldn't receive from him. May we have that same unity together that the world would see and be in awe. They may not believe everything that we believe, but may they never be able to argue with how we treat one another, how we love one another, serve one another. May this be to the glory of our King and the advancement of his kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to move in to the next part of our service, which is communion. And the kids are going to come in here in a minute, and they will not be quiet. But I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, so try to focus in. Oftentimes when we come to communion, what we do is we focus on, on the personal side. We stop and we focus on our sin and the forgiveness that we've received. And this is a beautiful thing, and at no point in time am I going to call you to not do that anymore. But I think there's another piece of communi uh, communion, another facet that we miss 
When Paul talks about communion in 1 Corinthians, he then goes right into his talk on you are one body, you need one another. He, he comes to communion table and he goes, this isn't just about you personally and how your sin was forgiven. Not to negate that. But he goes, this is also the thing that makes us a family. This is the thing that unites us, that draws us together as a body. This is the thing that allows us to become the assembly of God is what Jesus did on the cross. Paul talking about in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, remember at one point in time, you were separated from God. You were aliens. And this was one of those times when he says you, but he means y'all. And you guys know how I feel about that. But it's a better translation where he goes, look, y'all. He was talking Gentiles, non-Jewish people. You were separated. You were not the people of God. He says, but because of what Jesus did in his flesh, we are now one body. We are now, this is, we looked at this passage last week, Ephesians 2, um, 22, I think it is, where he says, you are now living stones being built together to become the dwelling place of God. And he ties it back to what Jesus has done on the cross. The reason we're able to have true community with one another is because Jesus died to knit us together. It says that he, he erased all barriers between us and has been binding us together into the dwelling place of God. So as we come to the communion table this morning, uh, we're going to do what we do oftentimes. We're going to spend a few minutes just in silence. And twofold. One, like we always do, we're going to ask the Lord, Lord, is there any sin in my own heart? Uh, Paul says, do not come to the communion table in an unworthy manner. And he doesn't mean having sinned at all this last month or even this last week. What he means is harboring that sin, going, I want to hold on to this sin, and I want to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. He says those two things, they, they don't play well together. They can't happen. Is there any sin, Jesus, that I need to offer to you? Is there anything between us? Start there. But then ask this question. Lord, is there anything keeping me from having community with someone else in this room? Is there anything I have against my brother or my sister? Or anything that they may have against me? Because what Jesus says is, if so, he says, leave your offering at the altar and go and make things right with that person. If there is something, if the Lord brings something up to you, before we come up and take communion today, go to that person if they're in this room. Step out and give a phone call. Shoot a text. Hey, hey I'd love to talk with you at some point. I cannot be okay with God and have this thing between us. It doesn't work that way. We were called into community and if there's anything that hinders our community, his cross made the way. We can, we can repent to one another. We can forgive one another. We can receive forgiveness. Don't let that hold you back this morning. So as we spend some time in community, or excuse me, in silence, Lord, is there anything in my own heart? Is there anything keeping me from you? Is there any sin in the camp? And Lord, is there anything I have against a brother or sister in this room? If so, get up and go and make it right then come and take communion and rejoice in what Jesus has done for us.